0: Hi, I'm Graeme Trigg and welcome to this first of the new regular Hemsons Regulatory and Crime Team podcasts. Today I'm talking to Adam Smith, a partner in the Regulatory and Crime Team in London. Adam also sits as an Assistant Coroner, so the subject today is Coroners and Corona. We'll be looking at the role of coroners and inquests in general during the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Hi Adam, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I apologise for the title, Coroners and Coroner, but um, uh, it had to be done really. It did. It was too
0: good an opportunity
1: to miss, wasn't it really?
0: Um, it's really exciting to be doing this first regulatory and crime team podcast.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, we recognise that everyone's swamped with information at present uh, and our aim, without being too lengthy, is really to provide some key pieces of guidance and information, especially for doctors working on the front line and those advising them.
0: Yeah, uh, and of course the um, you know, the Hempstons um, London Regulatory and Client Regulatory and crime team recently merged with Eastwards as you, as you were part of, of the Eastwards team that, that, that joined in. So it's some, an expanded team of experts. It's made the team a real force to be reckoned with, hasn't it?
1: It has, yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, so I came from Eastwards uh, with a few of us, but we're now an expanded team. Um, and that's exciting. I and mean, as the name suggests, we specialise in defending um, re- regulatory work. So, at, for example, the GMC, GDC. Um, and crime, so um, criminal work from start to finish, but we also do inquests, employment, CQC, judicial reviews, and so on. Um, But our short message at the moment is that we are fully operational, like everybody, we're working at home, but we're fully operational, very keen to assist with any issues that arise at the moment in any of the areas that we cover, whether it be inquests or anything else. So do contact us if if there are any questions or uh, advice is needed on any of those areas? Excellent, uh, we'll provide all the contact details
0: at the end of the show. So from a layperson's perspective then, the first question that occurs to me is um, yeah. all Covid-19 deaths, do they, do they need to be referred to the coroner? Because that, that sounds like it's going to be a massive undertaking.
1: Um, well no they don't, um, in some ways no death which is actually confirmed to be from Covid-19 should be referred to the coroner, mm-hmm. um, although I say that's subject to certain happy ass. Um, But I have heard it said that because COVID-19 is categorised as a notifiable disease yeah. under the, the new Coronavirus Act, that all deaths from coronavirus will require an inquest and therefore referral to the coroner. And and that is uh, incorrect. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the rules that govern referral to the coroner and whether or not the coroner needs to hold an inquest um, remain as they were. They're in section one of the Coroners and Justice Act 2009. Um, and they require an inquest where death is uh, violent or unnatural, of unknown cause, or occurs in custody or, or in state detention. Um, and there are some regulations called the Notification of Death Regulations 2019 that give some indication as to what is considered to be a natural cause of death, which is basically, if it resulted entirely from a naturally occurring disease process running its natural course. Hmm. They're the words of the regulations uh, where nothing else is implicated. So um, death from COVID-19 is, uh, is as a result of a naturally occurring disease process running its natural cause, uh, uh, course. So um, it is a natural cause of death, and it does not of itself trigger a requirement for an inquest, uh, okay. and nor is it a reason on its own to refer a death to the coroner. Uh, In fact, there may have been some confusion, I think, with a different section of the Coroners and Justice Act, which governs when an inquest has to be held with a jury. Um, So I know that initially when the Coronavirus Act was in draft form, uh, and it obviously mentioned coronavirus being a notifiable disease, um, there was a concern that that would mean that every inquest would have to be held with a jury. Um, because one of one of the grounds for having a jury is if it is a notifiable disease but that's only if there is to be an inquest and in any event the coronavirus act itself was then um, amended so section 30 makes clear that the requirement to have a jury in any inquest that relates to to covid 19 is excluded no jury is required um and uh, i the, the, the requirement to notify is to notify Public Health England. It's not a requirement to notify the coroner um, because, after all, death from coronavirus is a natural cause of death. Yeah, okay. Well, that, that makes sense.
0: And also it's, it's clear how there was some potential um, confusion there. But excellent. Thanks for clearing that up. So in terms of what practitioners in the front line can and can't do in terms of certifying deaths and, and when deaths should be reported to the coroner, has anything actually changed as a result of the of the COVID nineteen pandemic?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. In light of the pandemic, the rules regarding medical certificates of cause of death, um, or MCCDs as they're usually abbreviated to, um, have been modified. Um, so, in particular, um, the period during which a doctor must have seen a patient prior to death in order to give a cause of death without having to refer it to the coroner has been extended from the usual period of 14 days to 28 days. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the uh, attending doctor, uh, attending on uh, a now deceased patient who um, can fill in the MCCD. So as long as the deceased has been seen by a doctor during the 28 days before death, then if that doctor is unable to complete the um, MCCD or it's impractical for them to do so, so for example, they might be self-isolating or just working to help um, within the NHS, uh, then another doctor can sign the MCCD, although that itself is subject to certain conditions and um, I'll come back to those later. Um, The other thing to mention is, transferring uh, or transmitting then the MCCDs to the registrar, or indeed to the coroner for that matter, um, should now be done electronically and electronically only. So a photograph or a scan um, uh, and then uh, email to the registrar. And the, Actually, one other thing that's um, worth mentioning as well from a doctor's perspective, um, usually um, there has to be a confirmatory cremation certificate, so you need two certificates. Um, that's been relaxed at the moment as well so um, the single form it's called form four will suffice provided that the now deceased patient was seen within the last 28 days or after death by a medical practitioner but it doesn't require a second certificate as well.
0: Okay well they sound like fairly fairly sensible practical steps given the challenge the weight of the challenge that's going to hit the system doesn't it? Um, so hmm. what are regard- the requirements now regarding the MCCDs?
1: Okay well there's a few I'll go through the key points and um, it's worth noting there is some useful guidance from NHS England on this it's dated the 31st of March uh, referred to as the Coronavirus Act excess death provisions uh, information and guidance for medical practitioners but um, And the first key thing, as I said, is any medical practitioner can complete uh, an MCCD now, provided the attending doctor is unable to do so or it's impractical for them to do so. And provided the doctor completing it is able to state the cause of death to the best of their knowledge and belief. Mm -hmm. And that's worth noting. And that's always the case when a doctor is required to or, or a doctor is giving a cause of death, they give it to the best of their knowledge and belief based on the information and evidence they have. Um, So the deceased patient still has to have been seen by a doctor within the 28 days before death, or they have to have been seen after their death. And in the absence of one or other of those, then referral to the coroner is still required.
0: Okay.
1: Um, But referral to the coroner um, should only take place where there is no doctor who can sign the MCCD within a reasonable time of the person having died. I think the, the idea is to try and alleviate pressure on various systems, including the coronial system. So uh, it's certainly not the case that all of these cases need referring to the coroner. Yeah, sure. Um, but if they do, then there's likely to be some dialogue in the usual way between the coroner's office and the doctor um, who's... Um, Whoever the relevant doctor is but the one who's who feels unable to give a, a cause of death um and that dialogue might lead to um it might lead to a cause of death being accepted by the coroner um so doctors need to be ready to explain where their knowledge and belief comes from that covid 19 is a cause of death but it's worth noting that that can come that knowledge and belief can come from various sources really so for example it might be um, by reference to prior history for the patients. It may be that the doctors received some communications from the patient's family. Uh, medical records are always a source of information. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the doctor may have some information about the deceased patient's recent exposure to COVID 19 or that they were self isolating or, or had shown uh, specific symptoms. Yeah, I see. Um, and um, the doctor may also need to explain to the coroner whether there's a reason to suspect that anything else was involved in the death. And, and ultimately whether the cause of death is felt to be a natural one, albeit it may not have been possible to get confirmation of, of a test, uh, a positive test for COVID-19. So ultimately, as I say, 28 days is the extended period. And if no doctor has seen the patient within 28 days or after death, and there's no one available to do a, a, a certificate to that effect, then there'll be a discussion with the coroner. But with the coroner's agreement, COVID-19 may still then form part of the, the medical certificate that of cause a death. Um, it's ultimately down to the coroner in those circumstances. Okay, so so the
0: question that, that occurs to me there is, especially given the way that we're recording this podcast, for example, is we're not in the same room. Uh, we're doing this over, over Skype. Um, in this day and age in the way that suddenly homeworking and virtual meetings have taken off what constitutes seeing a patient in these days in, in these circumstances will it will, will just a telephone com- consultation do or, or does there need to be something
1: a bit more substantial than that okay um, well there are some there is guidance and rules about this as well so um, telephone consultation won't do um, but in terms of whether a doctor's seen a, a patient who has sadly now died within the previous 28 days, um, although telephone won't do, seeing a patient by video link, including Skype for example, does suffice, that will suffice. Um, if however the doctor um, giving a cause of death on the medical certificate of cause of death um, it's doing it on the basis that they've seen the patient after the patient died. That has to be an in-person seeing the patient, rather than yeah. having seen a, a, some video footage of them after they've died. That that won't suffice. So, telephones not good enough. Video link uh, is, um, uh, if it was in the 28 days, well, uh, prior to their death, but not after they've died. Again, that all makes.
0: All makes, all makes perfect sense doesn't it really. So does the uh, MCCD
1: have to be adjusted at all in those situations? Uh, it does so if it's not the actual attending doctor completing the MCCD then the MCCD will need to reflect this so in essence um, the doctor completing it should specify whether they are the attending doctor or if it was somebody else. Um, And if it was somebody else, specify the date that that of the doctor attended Um, uh, and it should make clear whether they attended um, before death or after. Well, I suppose by um, giving the date that will make it clear. Um, But also the MCCD should include the name and GMC number of the attending doctor as well as the doctor completing the certificate itself. Uh, And then as I said, scan and photograph it and transmit it electronically to the registrar or if needs be the coroner. Um, Registrar should be in a position to give an email address mm-hmm. um, for um, uh, for the purposes of this. Okay, yeah.
0: So is COVID-19 itself, is, is that a valid cause of death? Uh,
1: it is. Um, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but it is. Again, there's guidance. Um, so the Office for National Statistics, the ONS, gave some guidance called Guidance for Doctors Completing MCCDs um, uh, and for use during the emergency period and that was on the 1st of April. So yes, COVID-19 it's, is acceptable as a direct or underlying cause of death, um, but there are some uh, issues, so probable COVID-19, for example, if that was stated on the certificate, or possible COVID-19. On its own, that's not enough. It would need to be accompanied by an acceptable cause of death in part one of the, the MCCD. Um, that's in order for it to be accepted for registration without the need for a referral to the coroner. Okay. Um, so for example, you might have a patient who died, um, uh, but they had displayed symptoms typical of COVID-19 infection before they died. Uh, they may have had a test, but the test result hasn't been received yet. Um, uh, and uh, in those circumstances, the guidance itself says that it would be satisfactory to give COVID-19 as the cause of death, um, tick box B on the form, and then share the test result when it becomes available. Um, but in essence, if there, is, if there hasn't been a test, if there's no swab, it is satisfactory for a doctor to apply their clinical judgment. Um, I think the difficulty is more where the cause of death just cannot be ascertained Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and as I said you have to remember that um, the cause of death is given to the best of the knowledge and belief of the doctor giving it but where it can't be ascertained on that basis and the death cannot therefore be certified so uh, the doctor then has to refer that death directly to the coroner um, with all the supporting information they can so that's the kind of factors I mentioned earlier the kind of information about whether someone was displaying symptoms may have been self-isolating any information from medical records etc. Okay Uh, and that presumably then does lead to an inquest does it? Uh, Again it's not quite so straightforward it depends and I I think uh, doctors certainly will understand that um, it's probably easier in a hospital death scenario to establish COVID-19 definitively as a cause of death relatively straightforward because there will more than likely have been a actual diagnosis and treatment during that person's life. But where deaths occurred in the community, it may be more complex. Um, So there may be suspected COVID-19 deaths um, where a reported death um, is likely to end up being made to the coroner because the doctor feels unable to sign an MCCD, albeit they suspect COVID-19. And where that happens, as I said, the coroner's likely firstly to have a dialogue with the, the relevant doctor. And it may be on the strength of that that the uh, coroner feels that like they have sufficient information that an inquest isn't required mm-hmm. um, and an investigation doesn't need to be opened, and, and they'll direct the registrar accordingly and the death can be registered. Yeah. But if not, if not, it becomes a little bit more complicated. So in the ordinary course, in those circumstances, the coroner would be required to open an investigation and they would request a post-mortem and the post-mortem will ultimately, in the vast majority of cases, give them a cause of death and they will then know whether it's natural, doesn't require an inquest uh, or not. Um, and it is, it's is—it's worth noting here actually that um, if, if a pathologist undertakes a post-mortem and the pathologist can say it's a natural cause of death but I'm not quite sure what the exact cause is. Then that's sufficient as well for a coroner not to need to do an investigation and an inquest. So, so it it may be helpful to get a post mortem. However, there are good reasons not to be doing post mortems unnecessarily at the moment, and there may be real problems in a coroner being able to get them compared with normal times. Um, So whether that is infection risk, lack of capacity in the system. And it should be noted that there's there's been a long-standing problem with a lack of capacity and, and lack of suitable pathologists anyway. So I think overall there's likely to be more inquests in these circumstances. Mm. Um, uh, certainly the, the chief coroner has given guidance that in this scenario the coroner should be opening an investigation and proceed to an inquest if at all possible. I think the reality is, as with so much of coronial practice there's likely to be quite a variation between different coroners and different coroner areas. Um, all coroners are going to be wanting to be as pragmatic as they can yeah. um, to try and have deaths registered in so, and as so far as possible um, relieve the pressure on the system whether that be the coronial system, the medical system, pathologists and post-mortems or, or any of those. Um, And I think there will be some variation. So, for example, I know that some coroners are likely to determine that provided there's sufficient information that the death was natural and not suspicious, then they don't need to conduct any further investigation. Um, uh, And they might accept a cause of death, for example, as 1A, unascertained, but, but natural, 1B possible or probable COVID-19 but I think other coroners will require a bit more than that so uh, on the basis that and this is this podcast is hopefully of use to medical practitioners in particular then I think the key thing is for them to if they feel unable to give a cause of death um, and that as I said that a cause of COVID-19 is a valid cause of death but if they feel unable and there needs to be further discussion with the coroner's office then think the key thing is to provide as much information as possible so that the coroner is then in the best possible position to decide whether an investigation and inquest is genuinely needed or actually a natural cause of death can be recorded and the death registered and and there's no need for an inquest. Okay Uh, yeah
0: so so, uh, again very very well thought through set of uh, guidelines uh, and it all makes again perfect sense given the challenges that, that, that are coming up but what happens if, if there is to be an inquest how 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 does a hearing actually take place given the social distancing uh,
1: restrictions that we, that we have at the moment yeah okay and um, well there are uh, well there's so much guidance out there isn't there but um, yeah. again the chief coroner Um, has issued uh, three sets of uh, guidance um, that specifically arising out of the whole coronavirus situation. And one of those is specifically on um, hearings during the pandemic. And that guidance very much adopts the guidance that the Lord Chief Justice has given in respect of court hearings countrywide and all sorts of different court hearings, which... uh, in its briefest form just says that no physical hearing should take place unless it's urgent and essential business and safe for those involved um, for the hearing to take place. Uh, and there is a real concern to ensure social distancing in court and in-court buildings. Mm. So, um, But all hearings that can possibly take place remotely via whatever means should do so. Um, and any other hearings should only continue if Suitable arrangements for social distancing can be made, and that might be easier said than done.
0: So, does that mean that we're going to see coroners working from their living rooms?
1: Huh, uh, no, um, no. This this is something that I, I know the chief coroner's had to look at as well, because whilst it might very well be possible to hear evidence remotely, and and it's very sensible to do so if at all possible, so perhaps a video link to to witnesses. Uh, and so on. Um, The coroner, him or herself, cannot be um, remote from the court. So, the the reason for this is that hearings have to be in public, um, and that goes back to the basic principle of open justice. Um, And that means they have to at least be open for somebody to walk into the court if they choose to do so,
0: Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. albeit that even that at the moment might cause difficulties with social distancing. I think the reality is it's unlikely that members of the press are going to for example, pitch up at a coroner's court at the moment. Um, But it also means um, that the coroner has to be in the court conducting the inquest, even if that's simply reading evidence or taking evidence via a video link. Uh, And um, I understand that legal advice has been taken, and the legal position is that, um, put at its simplest, a courtroom is not actually a coroner's court without the coroner being there. So it's the presence of the coroner that makes it a coroner's court. So the coroner will have to be present and that will, I think, only take place provided um, the hearings can on, on, in the vast majority be held remotely um, or at the very least the, the appropriate social distancing can be achieved. Sure. Well, that's r- really quite an interesting setup then. So so inquest
0: hearings are, are, are going ahead?
1: Um, In practice, the restrictions have have, um, really curtailed a a significant number, the vast majority of inquests. So certainly all inquests involving a jury have had to be adjourned to a later date. I'm not aware of any in any areas continuing. Juries are always in close proximity. They retire to a jury room constantly throughout the day. It's just not practical to, to... socially distanced um, as between jurors so those have been adjourned um, uh, and I think in many jurisdictions all inquests have actually been adjourned for a few uh, for some time um, obviously we're all in a position where we don't know how long but adjourned for now certainly the longer larger inquests um, and many of the witnesses at the inquests are often medical practitioners and nurses paramedics and the like and obviously at this time there's a real imperative to have those people available to be working. Um, But insofar as inquests do take place, and there are some taking place, but insofar as they do, many of them will be where all of the evidence can be read, Um, and one of the coroner's inquest rules allows for evidence to be read, provided it's not controversial and the the interested persons agree, particularly the family, don't have any objection to evidence being read. and uh, otherwise evidence will have to be taken by video link or telephone or, or whatever it practically can be uh, to do it remotely and that will really depend on facilities in the given coroner area. Some coroner areas are much busier than others and have more of an imperative to try and keep things moving as best they can um, and other coroner areas have, uh, there's a real variation in facilities. so. Some will have courts that have rooms that are large enough and enough spaces that they can socially distance one or two people, um, but others just won't have that ability. So I think you might find that there'll be some inquest where perhaps just family members do attend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a coroner can't exclude them if that's the case, but they will only be able to take place if the family members can be suitably socially distanced from anybody else. Um, including the coroner and the, the coroner's court staff uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, coroner's court buildings vary enormously. So yeah. um, there'll be some places where that's possible and somewhere it's not. But um, obviously there's a, a, a inquests are backing up and the, there is a, a need to try and keep them moving as far as possible because ultimately it's not in anybody's interest for deaths to go unregistered, not least family members. No, um so there is that interest in holding inquests where they're needed, as best as we possibly can. Like everybody, everybody's got to make the best of the situation and do what they possibly can, in the current difficult circumstances. But safety of all those involved is is still paramount. Sure. And and those those are
0: the messages that are flowing in every single walk of life, every single area of work that we're looking at at the moment. that that that, that is the common message, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Adam, that's been incredibly useful. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, we're going to end uh, the podcast there. Uh, I hope that's been very, very useful for everybody listening. Um, I should say that Adam and everybody on the uh, regulatory and crime team at Hempstons are very, very happy to assist with any inquest or coroner-related matter, so if you have any questions or need any advice at all around any of those topics that, that we've raised today, please do get in touch. Uh, Adam's telephone number is 020-7484-7629, his email address is a.smith at hempstons.co.uk, so please do either email or call Adam. Adam, thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll be back very soon with more podcasts from the Hempsons Regulatory and Crime Team. See you soon, goodbye.